Well, I think the Big 12 is a one-bid league in 2024. The same doesn't have to be true for the ACC. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you want to stay up to date with all the realignment, coaching, carousel, portal talk, this is the show for you. The biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. I'm joined today by Kenton Gibbs, the host of co-host rather of Locked On ACC. He's at TGIF underscore Kenton on X, formerly known as Twitter. Here's where my head is at with this, Kenton. The Big 12, I, I think Utah is the favorite over there, but we've seen them come very close to but not make a four-team playoff. It's different in the 12-team world, of course, but I think the Big 12 has got good teams, might have more depth than the ACC, but I think at the top you have more teams that I could see getting into the 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 12-team college football playoff. I think Florida State, who we'll definitely get to on today's show, has got a really good chance to win 11 or more regular season games. But I think there are more teams capable of potentially knocking them off in a conference championship and stealing that automatic bid underneath. And I think that's more true in the ACC than it is in the Big 12. How do you view the ACC's playoff hopes? Is it a one-bid league or a two-bid league? You know, the national perception is going to want to push this to a one-bid league. In order for the ACC to be a two-bid league, there are going to have to be multiple teams that are flatly dominant, that are flatly dominant. And and I'll take it a step further. One of the non-big brands has to win uh, the ACC in order for the ACC to be a two-bid league. If Florida State or Clemson um, win it, chances that we're a two-bid league, not very high especially if that Florida State Clemson game is not close or whoever loses that game uh, does not have themselves a very fine season as well. If you're looking at a world where you say, Kenton, what's the best path for there to be two bids in out of the ACC, right? And this is, of course, purely hypothetical. I'm not saying that they do this, but let's say a Syracuse first year under coach friend, they just go crazy. Kyle McCord lights the world on fire and, and has a revenge tour like nobody's ever seen. If they go on and beat, you know, a Syracuse, I'm sorry, a Clemson or a Florida state in the ACC championship, a team that their only losses were to Syracuse per se in the, the ACC championship, you know, then you'd be looking at, Oh, well, wait a minute. Hold on, wait a minute now. Or their only loss was a regular season loss plus the, the conference championship. You look at the NC State that avoids – they play Clemson, but they avoid uh, Florida State, a much more realistic scenario, right? A team that everybody talks about all the additions offensively in the portal and a defense that's coached by Tony Gibson. you got to feel good about it because that brother can coach. He could put out five sentient Roombas and four Vart JV football players and leave two spaces empty, and he'd still find a way to get himself some stops. So – with that being said, you're looking at the, that team and saying, if they can run the table, if they can survive the early test of Tennessee and Clemson early, and they can go undefeated and maybe see a Florida State who is also undefeated or maybe one loss 
coming into the ACC championship game, and then boom, they win that game, but it's a close one. You could see it too big. But again, I don't think it's likely simply because they're the feeling around the ACC is one of your best team wants to leave. None of your teams are all that good. You're very mid. And it's the difference between – if I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but the picture where it was uh, two different young men telling the same woman at work, you look very pretty. And the, the handsome, fit guy with the full head of hair, it was like flirting. And then the bald, chubby guy, it said sexual harassment. As a bald, chubby guy, I take offense to that. Some of us look decent too. But that's the reality. A lot of other conferences, the Big Ten, with all of the the, the giant pack of mid that the Big Ten West was for years, really, even the Big Ten East, outside of Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, when they lose to each other, when there's an upset in there, oh, man, that conference cannibalizing each other. When the SEC, mm-hmm. when they found a way, somebody lost to somebody else, oh, man, the conference is cannibalized. Well, just look at Tennessee a year ago. Tennessee kept yep. being in the top 25, even though they had these horrible losses. I mean, oh. they lost to Florida by 13 points. They were beaten yep. back-to-back weeks against ranked teams. They were actually good, something like 76 to 17. They, they were getting mm-hmm. absolutely blasted, but they remained in the top 25 because that is indeed the narrative, and that's something the absolutely. ACC and the Big 12 have to fight. And I think the ACC can be in a slightly better position to be in that spot to push back against that narrative because of what they have at the top. I think the Big 12 at the middle and the bottom is stronger, but I think at the top, you have more teams that I trust as being capable of getting to the playoff. But back to your point about the two bid and and, and everything that went that, that, that has to go on there, I don't agree with your proposition that it has to be a non-traditional power there. Because imagine this sort of world. Let's say everything goes right for for Florida State and Clemson. They both go 11-1, and for instance. They meet in the conference championship game. If one wins in the regular season and one wins in the conference championship game and they have split their meetings, that 11-2 team is going to have a really, really good case, especially, especially if it is Clemson, because who does Clemson open with to begin the season? They Georgia. open they open with Georgia. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't get a bigger platform to start your season right now than playing Georgia because right. Michigan, the reigning national champions, they're not the same. Alabama's not, you know, the same, and they don't have a big uh, or a high-profile non-conference game in the first week. Clemson can come out, make a statement right here, right now that we don't need to add transfers. They haven't added a, it looks like a glitch on the 24-7 sports website. When you go on there and you see, oh, there's there, there's no there's no transfers coming in for Clemson. None, not a single one. They've got a top 20 recruiting class, but there's no there, no no transfers, not, not a single one over there. But Kate Klubnick is back. Dabo Sweeney is still there. That's where I come at it with the ACC has a better chance to be a two-bid league. So here's my only problem with that proposition. And this is, I know Florida State fans, I know Clemson fans are going to get real mad at me for this one. I want to ask you this question, Spencer, and I mean this with every bit of genuineness in me. Okay. Do you believe that those are two types of teams with the intestinal fortitude to go 11-1, to not tuck tail and dirt turn away if, if things go wrong? Let's say Clemson loses to a Georgia early. Do you think that that Clemson team is the type that has the constitution to say, you know what, that was one loss. We'll bounce back, shake back, pick ourselves up. Okay. I don't believe they are. Okay, Florida so State I need, is in a very similar situation for me. So I need to see how they lose the game. If they come out and they get run off the field, that's one thing. If they lose on a field goal with 20 seconds left, that's that's a different matter. 
What I see with those two programs in a subjective world and why I brought them up is that their brand in college football is a lot stronger than anybody else's in the ACC. So if you're talking about getting an at-large berth, we all know that these considerations are real. Mm -hmm. Everyone doesn't have to like them, but these debates that we've had for years over the 14 playoff, it's all going to continue in the 12 team playoff, just in a different context. And I think that Clemson and Florida State, either one of them with 11 wins, if they're able to get there, that is an unquestioned if, but but if they can get to that spot, I think they can both make it into the college football playoff or another scenario is let's say Florida State goes I don't know 12 and 0 again and they play NC State for instance in the ends mm-hmm. in the ACC championship game and NC State has done some really nice things this offseason Today's episode of Locked On College Football is brought to you by Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Right now, all users get $100 off when you buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase, and they're obsessed with helping you find ways to save money on tickets. They have deals right up to the start of the event. And Game Time's even got deals an hour after the event starts as well, so you can get last-minute seats. It's the best place to find last-minute seats. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, all Game Time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. Terms apply. Or just download the app. Just download the app. Use code VEGAS100. That's Vegas100 for 100 bucks off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I think that NC State could beat a Florida State if they're playing good football under Dave Dorn there and then get into the playoff and take the automatic berth, but then Florida State at 12 wins would certainly get in. But yeah, before, but you're, that's agreeing with my proposition because I said it had to be one right, of the non-traditionals right. to win. I, it I think that's that right, and yeah. I think that I think that's an option and a viable one. I don't think it's the only option, though. That's yeah, I agree. Where, yeah, uh, that's okay. that, that's okay. where I my agree. disagreement comes in. I don't think it's the only option, but yeah, in the before, land of hypotheticals, Clemson and Florida State could both go 12 and 0, 11 and one type deal, and, and both get. I can see. I yeah, see where yeah, you're yeah. I I could see that. I want to get you out of the here on this, Kenton. Mm-hmm. One thing that stood out with this ACC schedule release. Yeah. was Florida State's schedule is so favorable. And that is a coaching staff with plenty of players that have got a chip on their shoulder. That is a culture, that is a fan base that has got a chip on their shoulder. Whether you feel that's justified or not, that is how they feel. They've got Clemson at home. They only have four true road games because in week zero, they play a neutral site game in Dublin against Georgia Tech. Their four true road games are at Duke at SMU, a newcomer to the ACC, a first-year head coach in Manny Diaz, at Miami, and at Notre Dame. I, I look at this Florida State team. I'm not crazy about DJ Uyunglele, but I believe that this is at least a 10-win team, and mm-hmm. I won't be surprised if it's 11 or 12, given how their schedule plays out. You know, here's the thing. If you talk about this Florida State team going undefeated, I can see it happening. I'm not going to say that there is not a world where that happens. But if you're also talking about a Florida State team that wins nine games, I can see that happen. This team, I, agree. I, I don't believe that people are truly appreciating how much talent was lost by that team last year. Like, I, I really don't. You're talking about a top 10 pick 
and Jared Verse. You're talking about an all-conference guy in Braden Fitz. Mind you, we're not even talking about Jordan Travis yet, the quarterback that, that was so good, the committee said, without him, you are a completely different team. We don't believe in you. Top two running backs, top two receivers, top tight end, so many pieces left. And quite frankly, Florida State fans get mad at me. And y'all know, I get on there, and if I'm wrong, hey, I will tell you, I will bend the knee, unlike Mario Cristobal, and say, <laughs> I was wrong. I was wrong. I'll say it. But I don't believe that this Florida State team is being the, – the standards are not realistic because of an amazing season. I think that they're still at that point where they're on the precipice of becoming a team that no longer has to rebuild. They can just reload. I don't think they're there yet. They, I think that this is maybe not a strip down to the studs rebuild, but it's a little bit of, you know, remodeling the kitchen, you know, a little bit of stay out of here for the next couple of months. Idea. Yeah, they do have a top five transfer portal class, number three in the country on 24-7 sports. They went and kind of uh, pilfered that Alabama roster as best they could. So I think they can still be a talented team, but time will tell how good they will be. Kenton Gibbs, host of Locked On ACC. Thanks for stopping by on Locked On College Football. Absolutely. Getting Spencer McLaughlin to laugh is by far my greatest accomplishment <laughs> in life. People say, oh, it must have been becoming a captain. It must have been winning the state championship. It must have been getting the scholarship. <laughs> getting Spencer to laugh, the soul greatest joy in my life. Great to see you, brother. Uh, appreciate that, man. FSU is not the only team doing things in the portal. We're going to check in on Oxford here in just a moment. From one guest right into another, I'm joined by Stephen Willis of Locked On Ole Miss to talk about the team whose offseason I might love the most of any team in all of college football. That includes Oregon, by the way. I think Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin are building the best team he has had since he has been the head coach in Oxford. And there have been some good teams. This is an Ole Miss unit that just went 11-2, and won a New Year's Six game against Penn State. That's no small feat. Penn State's been really good on New Year's Day under James Franklin in the past. I, I think that Ole Miss is doing a fantastic job. When you look at you know the fact that they've lost Quinshawn Judkins, and I don't feel like their offense is going to skip a beat. In fact, I feel like it could be even better because they have brought in key portal additions. They've got Jackson Dart coming back at quarterback. You, of course, still have Lane Kiffin there. They add guys like Walter Nolan on defense. Steven, this is the first year where I legitimately feel Ole Miss has a standard that includes getting into the SEC championship game. And I don't think that that is an unrealistic expectation, given that it's year one for Alabama. LSU is having transition on their defensive staff. They're trying to figure everything out down there. And the season that Ole Miss just had, what I think they're capable of next year, everyone they've brought in this year, everything that's been invested, that's where my mind is at. How are you feeling about the Rebels down in Oxford? Well, I'm unbelievably giddy, honestly, if you look at what's going on. I've I've been following Ole Miss sports for nearly 50 years at this point. Um, the first game that I saw and went to was in 1982. So it's been a long ride. And most of the time in Ole Miss games and in Ole Miss seasons, there's always like a yeah, but type situations. Like Ole Miss is going to have a really good football team, but yeah, but something else would happen because there was a glass ceiling. There was a level that talent just you couldn't get you past. Alabama was always going to have an advantage over Ole Miss. Auburn was going to have an advantage. LSU, because of the talent. That doesn't necessarily exist. And I was going through doing like preliminary W's and L's looking at the schedule. And normally you look at it, it's like, okay, that's three L's, that's seven W's, and there's some toss-ups. 
this one is like, hey, okay, I can see a toss up and the, I see a whole bunch of W's. And at that point, I just start laughing maniacally and walking around in a circle and drinking beer. I mean, that, that's all you can do if you're an Ole Miss fan. Yeah, I think the transfer portal moves have been really good. They have the number one number one class on on twenty four seven sports, and to me, that's not an inflated ranking or a phony ranking. It's one that I look at and the quality of players they've brought in, and I go, I feel like Ole Miss has gotten better. So let's go to the transfer portal and and not even talk about all the returners. Sure, you have Quinchon Judkins leaving as I mentioned, and some other departures as well, as is the case. Every roster goes through attrition there. But what stands out to you the most about this transfer portal class for Lane Kiffin? Oh, the front seven. Um, Walter Nolan and Princely Amon Mielin have completely transformed defensively how this unit looks. When you add Chris Paul at middle linebacker with those two defensive linemen, because that means that J.J. Pekis and Jared Ivey, who was the alpha dog and the number two in command last year, they get to be the number three and the number four this year. And whenever that happens, honestly, you hate to talk about what's going on. It's like what's happening with Ole Miss basketball. Matthew Morrell was like the guy last year. They brought some transfers in. He became the third option. And all of a sudden, Matthew Morrell's the best player on the field or on the court. I think something similar is going to happen on the defensive line. You have a major pass rusher in Princely and Mommy Ellen. Unbelievably impressed. Walter Nolan is the top player that's ever gotten into the transfer portal in the short time that there has been a transfer portal. And you have Chris Paul, who was a butt-kiss watch list uh, award candidate, and TJ Dudley coming in, who had to sit out for most of last year, um, but got to play in the Peach Bowl. The front seven of this defense is going to make it to where the back seven looks really good. Whenever you were planning on having two and a half to three seconds to throw the football, or you did last year, maybe this year it's a second and a half to two seconds. Maybe a pass gets thrown a little bit off the target. The defensive back makes a pick, and all of a sudden, a year when last year you needed 25, 26 points to comfortably feel like you're going to win a football game, this season you might only need 15. You might only need 16 points to win a football game because of how good the defense is going to be. Do you feel like that was the biggest weakness for Ole Miss going into the offseason? What was the defensive side of the ball? Lane Kiffin's teams have always been able to score points. He's gotten good production from his quarterbacks. Dart, I love having him in that system for another year. Was that the area that Ole Miss most needed to address in the transfer portal this offseason? And do you feel like they have done enough to be one of the best units, or at least a, an improved unit from a year ago in the SEC? Yes, I, I, th- I think defensively they needed a little bit of work. They were pretty good defensively last year, but they were pretty good schematically and they needed some dudes. Um, Georgia kind of exposed them last year. They had trouble trying to stop LSU in that shootout that went up and down the field. Um, Texas A&M with Bobby Petrino figured them out in the second half and it took a block field goal to win that game. When you look at that happen, they realize, hey, we need to figure out a way to handle these deficiencies because these are the teams we're trying to compete with right now. Elite five-star type athletes that we're going to line up against. We need players that compete with them. We don't just need good football players that have a ton of heart. You know, um, the Lunch Pell Warriors, the Gym Rats, those guys are going to be really good to a certain extent, but sometimes you just need dudes. And this Ole Miss defense is recruiting a good number of dudes on that side of the ball. 
to the point where like Juice Wells and Logan Diggs and Daquan Wright, those players on the offensive side, those skill players that normally would be the talk of the offseason for Ole Miss football, nobody's even talking about. The other thing they've done is added guys from the offensive line. So Washington's offensive line last year won the Joe Moore, Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in all of college football, deservedly so. Ole Miss has added two guys from that Washington unit that were at very least a part of it. Each had over 600 snaps, one of them over 900 snaps a season ago for the Huskies. So where do you see Julius Bulow and Nate Kaleppo fitting into the rotation? Do you think that they are, are more complementary depth pieces, or are these guys who are going to step in and, and protect Jackson Dart right away? Um, I think Kaleppo is, is a plug-and-play guy. He's, he's going to get on the field. He started 15 games last year. He's gonna. He's probably going to be penciled in at left guard. He's going to be playing next to Diego Pounds, um, the transfer that's coming in from North Carolina. And then Bulow and Jeremy James and some other pieces, they're going to compete. Um, Jerquan Scott for that right guard position. I, th- I think that is a competition piece. I think that Nate Kaleppo is going to come in and win the job. And then obviously you have Michael Pettis and you have Caleb Bourne and you have a lot of pieces coming back um, on Ole Miss's offensive line to the point where I was like, man, Ole Miss could go 10 deep if you actually play two different lines of offensive line this year. They don't do that, but they could because of how many players they have coming back and then just bringing four new players in. It's weird. I think this Ole Miss team is one of the top contenders in the SEC next year because of what they have done this offseason. Do you feel the same way? Yes. I I think that um, FanDuel has it right whenever they put out their early lines for the games of the year that they did. They have um, Georgia and Ole Miss was a line that they put out. I think that has a chance to be the typical Alabama-LSU type premier game, the Florida-Tennessee from back in the day. That has a chance to be this year's game the Georgia Ole Miss game, and it could be for all the marbles in the regular season and get to Atlanta. Stephen Willis, locked on Ole Miss. Appreciate the time. I am just as high as he is on what is happening down in Oxford. We'll definitely have him back on before the season ends. If you want Ole Miss content, YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, go check him out. Stephen, thanks so much. All right, man. Take care, and I love the fact that we have a locked on college football. This is awesome. Greatest sport in the world, bar none, and still more to get to on this wonderful, wonderful Friday. Before I send you off into the weekend, let's send you over to FanDuel first, because the NFL regular season, yeah, that has come and gone for quite a while, but guess what? The playoffs are still here, and there are three games left in the NFL season, and there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. They have college football lines already available. For 2024. Can you believe that? Can you believe you can already bet college football games? I can because it's the greatest sport on planet Earth. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets whether you win or lose. You don't have to be right. You go look at a line over there and say, ooh, Colorado minus eight and a half against North Dakota State. Boy, I think that's too much disrespect for Dion. I'm putting on Colorado. And if they win the game 27-20, guess what? You get 115 bonus bets when that game comes to a close no matter what. The app is super easy to use. You can do live same game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays, all that and so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
Utah has to make the college football playoff this year. It's not the last time they'll ever have the chance, but this is the best opportunity Utah will have to make the college football playoff. They should be, once all the odds come out, the betting favorites in the Big 12. They have the most experienced quarterback in the entire Big 12. They are supporting that quarterback by bringing in quality targets via the transfer portal, and Utah's defense is as reliable as death and taxes. Year in, year out. Kyle Whittingham, Utah defense. I don't care who they've lost. I don't care who they've added. That's going to be a team that plays defense every single season. So Utah went 8-4 and four in the regular season last year before a disappointing Las Vegas Bowl loss to Northwestern in which they put up just seven points. They held the Wildcats to 14. The defense didn't falter in that particular game. The offense did. The offense that once again is going to be led by Cam Rising that is going to have Carson Ryan coming over from UCLA. That's a four-star tight end transfer. They've got Tayshawn Lyons, the wide receiver, coming in from Washington. Dorian Singer, who a couple years ago led the Pac-12 in receiving yards whilst at Arizona. You have all of the pieces. Everything is there. And the Big 12 right now is as vulnerable as it is going to be because the teams that came up from the G5 ranks, BYU, Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati, I don't suspect that they're going to go downhill. They could level off in their production and their quality every year, but I suspect, and history tends to show you, Utah knows this, going back to their Mountain West to Pac-12 transition, you go on an upward trajectory as you get acclimated to the Group 5 level, and you win more games against quality teams, able to bring in better players, etc., etc. So the Big 12 this year, is going to have Utah as the favorite. Arizona is one of the teams that everyone's looking to to be one of the favorites. They've had a couple of key transfer portal departures, all-conference caliber guys, one of whom a defensive back could very well be headed up to Washington to join Jed Fish. But there's a new coaching staff down in Tucson, and I like Arizona. If you have Noah Fafita and Teteroa McMillan, there are a lot of solid pieces there. But there are also some notable departures from that team that went 10-3 and a season ago. And if you're asking me who's had the better offseason so far in terms of adding rather than subtracting talent to the roster, the answer is Utah. And I think Arizona has done some nice things. But I think that Utah has done a great job. They've got a seventh-year quarterback who is, at worst, when healthy, the third-best quarterback in the Big 12. So when you look at where this league is at, Couple teams are still kind of in that, you know, hybrid G5. I mean, the four newcomers, only one of them made a bowl game last year, and UCF lost their bowl game. Not not a single one finished with a winning record. They could be poised for a jump in year two, any one of them, but multiple? It seems kind of unlikely at this point in time. Colorado is being wildly undervalued in the betting markets with a win total of four and a half. But are they ready to be a 9-10 conference contending winning team? Vegas tends to know things we don't. Doesn't mean Vegas is always right. Arizona last year had a win total of four and a half. They were in the running to make the Pac-12 championship game. Ultimately came up just one game short. But that's a pretty difficult thing to obtain. And I think Colorado's schedule is manageable. And they're an easy over four and a half. But do I think they're suddenly at Utah's level? I think they might have a higher level player at quarterback in Shador Sanders. To me, that's the best quarterback in the Big 12. But the next one is... It's between Cam Rising and Jalen Daniels. And Cam Rising is a guy who the last two years that he has been healthy in college football, won a Pac-12 championship, played in the Rose Bowl. And that was a conference that is better than what the Big 12 has now. 
So when you look at the weapons they're bringing in, their consistency on defense, the continuity on the coaching staff, the veteran quarterback that they're going to have back there, this is the best chance Utah will have had to make the playoffs since they were one game away from probably doing so in 2019. And what happened in that game? They played Oregon in Santa Clara, the last Pac-12 championship played there. It was not a great environment. They moved it to Vegas. Then the conference imploded. So why am I bringing it up? I don't know. It's nostalgic, perhaps. They were 11-1 and going into that game. And that is what Utah should be going into the Big 12 championship game. With where this conference is at, with where Utah is at, the personnel moves they've made, who they've got coming back, this is the best shot for Utah to get into the playoff. And I think this is probably a one-bid league. I think if Utah gets there and is 11-1 and and they lose to someone else in the Big 12 title game, I don't think it's a lock that they get left out. I, I do not think it is a lock. I think it's a real possibility that at 11-2, and two, a Big 12 team could get left out over, I don't know, an 11-1 and one or a 10-2 and two Big 10 or SEC team. And you've got all the auto bids in there. I don't think the Big 12 is a two-bid league in 2024. I don't think you've got enough teams that are going to perform at a high, high level. They had zero, count them, zero teams from the current Big 12 that finished in the AP or college football playoff top 10 to end last season. That conference right now, of the four power leagues, which it legitimately is, it is a wildly high step above the Mountain West or the American Conference. I am not disagreeing with you there. I do not think it's a glorified G5 league, but it is clearly a notch below where the other leagues are. I think it's pretty close to the ACC. I think there's better depth in the middle and towards the bottom. But for Utah, their expectations should be sky high. These should be the highest expectations Utah fans have had for their team in quite a while. And they're going into a conference where the Holy War is now a part of their annual conference slate, or at least I'm fairly certain it is. If it's not, it certainly should be. But I'm pretty sure that matchup is going to be protected. And, and that game alone could could be a place where Utah stumbles. It could, because it's a rivalry matchup, and that sort of stuff can happen there. But the Utes' opportunity is so great that it is not crazy to say for a team that has never made the college football playoff that it is college football playoff or bust. You've got a seventh-year quarterback. Who was in the playoff a season ago? Jalen Milrow was in his third year of college football, his first year starting. Michael Penix was in his fifth year of college football. They got by Oregon and Bo Nix, who was in his fifth year of college football. Quinn Ewers, J.J. McCarthy wasn't their first go-around either. You've got the most veteran quarterback you could possibly have, and all the other pieces and the schedule, everything lines up for Utah to get into the playoff. And if they don't get there, that is a disappointing season for the Utes. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.